Okay. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. We are in Acts 14 for the first service. Now we're in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, so I don't know. I guess I've got a, a theme going with this. I don't know. Just the way that it's worked out. But uh, we're continuing our series that we've been in uh, that I've entitled Refocus. And our desire is to see Jesus more clearly through the events that's recorded in the Gospels. And I think oftentimes whenever we look at the Gospels, our attention is more focused on the miracles. It's focused on all the the multitudes. It's focused on some of the the messages and the the teachings of Jesus and things. And uh, through all of that, we, we fail to see what God is doing, what Jesus is doing in the lives of his disciples. I think that uh, some of the main emphasis, some of the main purpose of Jesus' ministry during those uh, three and a half years as he's spending them with his disciples, he was preparing them to uh, do the work that he had for them whenever he went to the cross, whenever he ascended up into the Father, whenever he was going, he was leaving them behind as his apostles, his sent ones, his ambassadors. And his apostles were fishermen, tax collectors, common men. And there is a pretty big journey from fisherman Peter to apostle Peter, right? And so as we see this, we find that uh, he is working to change and to challenge them, to prepare them to minister whenever he's no longer there. And uh, he's going to take a lot to transform them and make them out to be the ones that are going to be able to turn the world upside down with the gospel, as we see later on. And so in the past weeks, much of what Jesus has been, uh, what we've been learning from Jesus here is how much we need him. Mm -hmm. That's been an emphasis over the past several messages, is just taking their attention off themselves, taking their attention off their problems, and focusing their attention on Jesus. And so we saw in this that uh, Jesus can take us through life storms, that in the Maniac of Gadara, he taught us that he is infinitely more powerful than Satan. A lot of times we look at all the evil that's going on in this world and we say, well, it seems like the devil's winning. No, he's not going to win. Uh, He can only do what God will allow him to do. And God only allows him to do a small amount to fulfill his purposes up until his time that's appointed and God will deal with him. And uh, we saw with the woman with the issue of uh, blood that we all have issues and Jesus helps us with those issues when we reach out to him. Uh, Kind of a side note that I didn't touch on at that time. Uh, was that Jesus was on his way to to Jairus' house, one of the leaders at that time, one of the important people. Jesus was on his way to heal that man, to to raise his daughter from the dead. But Jesus still had time to stop and see to this woman's need. And the disciples are going to need to know that as well because they can't just focus on the big things or the important people, but they were going to have to also minister to the outcasts and the, some of the hidden issues as well. And then last week, what we looked at was that the hungry multitude uh, taught us there is a great work to do, and we aren't sufficient to handle it. But if we will put our lives into his hands, he can do great things with the little that we have. Okay, And so these are the things that we've been learning. Jesus can make much out of us if we'll simply surrender ourselves to him. And so the, the Lord is preparing these disciples by bringing their attention to the point that they need to rely on him. 
And today what we're going to be focusing on, uh, Peter is going to come to center stage. Excuse me. Peter's going to come to center stage. Okay. And he's going to be the focus of our story today. And whenever we think of Peter, he's almost like two people. Have you ever saw that? Yes. There's different characters in the Bible that we almost forget that it was all one person, all one life. David is a really good example of this. For a long time, I had trouble reconciling David the shepherd boy and David the king. It was almost like they were two different people. You have David the shepherd boy and the giant slayer, right? You have David the soldier that's running from Saul. And then you have David the king. It's almost like three different people, three different stages, right? With Peter, you have Peter the fisherman, and you have Peter the apostle. You have Peter that's constantly sticking his foot in his mouth, saying outrageous and stupid stuff, uh, rebuking the Lord, and arguing with Jesus. We're aware of all those things, right? Peter was doing that. Not so, Lord. I won't let that happen. I'm your guardian. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. That was his attitude even down to the point where he's denying Jesus because he's afraid for his life. And then he says, I'm going to hang it all up. I'm going back to fishing. Peter the fisherman. But then you have the day of Pentecost where he stands up and boldly proclaims, you know, as a fisherman, right? Boldly proclaims the gospel to thousands of people and they get saved. You have Peter the apostle that is uh, being imprisoned for the preaching, and he says to the, those who crucified Jesus, the ones who he was afraid of before, he says, I'm going to obey God rather than men. He's the one that was shackled to guards and was slated for execution the next morning and was able to sleep peacefully knowing that God had him. The angel came and delivered him and brought him out of the, the prison and he continued preaching. He was the one that opened the, the door of the gospel to the Gentiles whenever he went to Cornelius' house. He gave us two books of the Bible, the two epistles that bear his name. And at the end of his life, he was crucified upside down, martyred for being an apostle, right? And he said, I refuse to be crucified in the manner of Jesus. So they crucified him upside down. That's Peter the Apostle, not Peter the Fisherman. There's a big difference between the two of them, right? And while part of the difference is the Holy Spirit coming at the time of Pentecost, much of what the Holy Spirit did was build upon the foundation that Jesus set as he had ministered into Peter's life, as he had taught him all of these lessons that we are looking at throughout Jesus' time with the Apostles. It seems like he didn't quite get it while he was there with Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit came, he pulled all the, the loose ends together. He put all the pieces in place, and it completely transformed who Peter was. And so all of these things that we're looking at is bringing Peter to that place that he can go from Peter the fisherman to Peter the apostle. And just as with Peter, there is a long journey even in our own lives. There's a long journey from where he finds us to where he wants us. We have a lifelong journey of him renewing our minds, of him transforming us, of him changing us from the inside out. And a lot of times that process doesn't happen as quickly as we'd like, but it takes time to make an apostle out of a fisherman. It takes time to make a king out of a shepherd. It takes time to turn a Saul into a Paul. 
And it's going to take time for God to change you into what he wants you to be. The, the uh, kid's song says it took him just uh, a week to make the sun and the, uh, take the moon and the stars, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. You ever heard that song? How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Everything that we have, everything that we see, all of the creation, God made it in six days. But it takes a lifetime for God to transform one of us, right? And so there's lots of lessons that we have to learn. And so as we look at this passage, we see that we do have a long way to go, but we have a patient teacher and so let's look at Matthew chapter number 14. We're going to go down to verse number 22. This will pick up where we were last week. In verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased, and they, were, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And when they were going over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and brought unto him uh, that, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched uh, were made perfectly whole. Let's go, Lord, and pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us, for the work that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And Lord, I know so often we are so focused on ourselves and our own ability. We think that we are the ones that must make these things happen. Lord, help us to learn, as your disciples did, that uh, we need to look to you. We need to uh, to trust in you to do that slow and, and patient work in our lives of changing and of transforming us, that you know what's best, that you know the way. And Lord, that it's so much more than what we can do ourselves, but it's a small thing for you. Lord, we ask you just to please be with those who aren't able to be with us this morning, those who are working and, and things, be with those who are sick. We ask you, Lord, that you would just uh, be with this community about us. Help us, Lord, to be a light and a witness to them. But Lord, I pray even now, touch the hearts of those who are here. I pray, draw them to you, open their eyes and, and encourage them, Lord, in their faith. We thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. amen. In the passage that we're reading here, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. Of course, he was feeding the twelve to 15,000, right? We looked at that last week. He just finished doing that. And one of the parallel passages tell us that he knew that the crowds wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so he was minded to send the crowds away because he wasn't 
to come to the crown. He was to come to the cross. And so when when all of this was going on, he tells his disciples first. Did you pick up on that? He tells his disciples first, go apart into a ship, go ahead and cross over the sea, and I'm going to send the crowds away. I believe that Jesus knew the hearts of his disciples. They were still looking for a king. They were still looking for a sovereign, not a savior. And so if the crowd would have come to try to take him by force and to make him king, the disciples probably would have joined in with them. They would have been drawn astray as well. And that wasn't what his desire was. He knew what was best for his people. But really, you can't blame the crowd for wanting to make him king. I mean, after all, he was healing their diseases. He had the ability to lay hands on them and to to heal the blind, to uh, raise up the cripple, to raise up the dead. And on top of that, he could take one little boy's lunch and feed twelve to 15,000 people. If he was their king, imagine what his kingdom would be like. They were looking at it from a physical point of view of if he's our king, then our physical needs are going to be met. But with a king like him, imagine what his kingdom is like. We need to look at it from a spiritual sense because he is our king. And we serve such a great and wonderful God, and we need to be proclaiming him as our king. We need to make sure that he is king of our lives because look what a king, what a God we serve. But anyway, he sent the disciples away. They're going away on their little boat. He sends the the multitudes away, and it says that he goes up on top of the mountain, and he spends some time alone with God. Just the fact that all these things have uh, went on this day is probably bringing it front and center in his mind that he is not going to be crowned, that he's going to go to the cross. And he probably needed to go to his father for just a little bit of time and commune with his father with all these things being so apparent to him. Because just the fact that they were wanting to crown him, the, the devil offered up to him in the temptation. He says, if you'll bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, right? He had that opportunity before him once again that, hey, everybody here loves you. If you'll just submit to them, they're going to crown you right here. And he says, no, my time is not yet. I didn't come to be crowned. I came to be crucified. And so he sent them away. He's praying to God. And as he's praying, the disciples are in the ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was susceptible to winds and sudden storms coming in. And the disciples were used to being on that sea. They, many of them were fishermen. They were used to fishing on that sea. And so they had weathered many storms. They knew how to, to sail in those storms. They knew how to, uh, to uh, go through those things. And I don't believe this was a storm like the one that Jesus had to calm. Remember whenever he was asleep in the ship and they said, Carest thou not that we perish? Here it just seems like it was your average run-of-the-mill storm. Yes, it's an inconvenience. They were already tired, but they're toiling, they're rowing, they're going to get across to the other side. I don't know whenever they left how they were expecting Jesus to get across the other side. Maybe there was other boats. I can imagine Peter trying to question Jesus and saying, but if we take the boat, how are you going to get over there? Right? Peter's always trying to figure it out. Or maybe what if we get in trouble again and you're not with us? We need you to come too. And Jesus says, no, don't worry, Peter. I've got a way to get across. You just go ahead on your boat. You'll be just fine. So Peter goes across on the boat. They're in there in the middle of the storm. They're toiling, they're rowing, and they've got it under control. They're not afraid until they look up and they see the figure of a man coming to them on the water amongst the wind and the waves. I don't know about you, 
But if I was on a boat in the middle of the sea and I saw the figure of a man coming at me on the water, I would probably respond the same way as they did. So you saw this group of fishermen screaming like little girls. They are afraid and it says they cried out because they thought it was a spirit. They thought it was a ghost because people don't walk on water. Right? And so whenever they cried out, when they were troubled, whenever they were afraid, Jesus calls out to them and says, it's just me, don't be afraid. I don't know that that would help a whole lot. Because you'd still be trying to process this, right? But Peter, being Peter, impetuous as he was, not thinking things through, he says, okay, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And before he has a chance to think about it, he's over the side of the boat and he's taking steps on the water. He's walking along, he's going along, and then all of a sudden it hits him. You ever do something maybe stupid, and then after it was too late, you finally realized what was going on. It's like, man, that was dumb. Now, I'm not saying for him wanting to go to the Lord or him asking to do this was dumb. That's not what I'm saying. But he is doing something that he knows he doesn't have the power to do. He's doing something he knows that is impossible, and whenever he finally realizes it, he begins to sink. The picture that just popped into my head, and forgive me, I'm a little bit ADD, but the picture just came in my head. You all remember the old cartoons like uh, Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and that kind of stuff? You ever see whenever they like overshoot the cliff and they're just like running in the air and they don't fall until they look down and then all of a sudden they go? That's what happened to Peter. He overshot the boat. He's out in the water and he's just going along. Things are good. And then he looks down and he sinks. And at that moment, he prays one of the shortest but most sincere prayers that we find in the Bible. And he simply says, Lord, save me. And it says that Jesus stretches out his hand, pulls him up out of the water, takes him to the boat. They get in the boat and all of the winds and the waves calm. And the only thing that Jesus says to Peter, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I don't think this was hostile. I don't think it was angry. I don't think it was necessarily the kind of rebuke that you would think. It was just him saying, Peter, by this time, do you not realize you can trust me? Have you not seen enough? Have you not experienced enough? Have you not went through enough to know that you can trust me? And that's what happened here. And so they got in the boat, they went on a cross, and the very last verses that we read, we're not going to cover them really today, but he gets back into the region of Gennesaret. That's where he healed the maniac of Gadara, where they, they threw him out of their coast. They told him, leave us alone. Now they have a different attitude toward him, right? And they're bringing all of their sick and all their infirm for him to heal, and he heals them. Apparently, the maniac has been going in ministry like a maniac and telling everybody about it, right? But anyway, we're going to be looking at Peter here and seeing this lesson that he has to learn. Um, let me get my, my thoughts back in order. The lesson that he was needing to learn here is that if God was going to use his little to do the impossible, if he was going to have this ragtag group of common everyday individuals then if they were going to turn the world upside down with the gospel like he had planned for them, they were going to have to learn that they had to keep their eyes on Jesus. Okay, We're seeing a lot of these passages that we've already looked at 
in this idea of starting out following him, right? Of trusting him initially. But in this passage, we find that he starts well and then he stops. And that is a risk that we have in our lives. That is a danger that we all face is that we begin our walk with the Lord and over time we take our eyes off of him. And so let's look at this passage and kind of delve into it one step at a time. The first thing that I look at in this passage, the first thing that stands out to me is the demonstration of God's power. And Peter was looking out of the ship and he was seeing Jesus walking to him on the water. Could you imagine being there? Could you imagine being in the boat? And you're just rowing, you're tired, you've been through a lot. It's been all night, you're fighting against the waves and the wind. And all of a sudden you see this storm and it's Jesus and he calls out and he says, it's just me, don't be afraid. Peter knew it was impossible. He knew it was a miracle. He knew that it was only God that could do such things. And on top of that, they have just seen Jesus feed the multitude, right? Another miracle, another thing that was impossible, the power of God on display. They saw him raise Jairus' daughter, heal the woman with the issue of blood, cast out the devils out of the, out of the uh, maniac of Gadara. And all of these things had an impact on Peter. We could go all the way back to the very beginning in creation, and we've already talked about this a little bit this morning, but God spoke all things into existence. What power God has that everything, by him all things exist, right? He spoke it all into existence. Look at how he worked in the life of Abraham, how he displayed his power. He waited till Abraham and Sarah were past childbearing years. He found someone who was barren, someone unable to have children, and he says, that's the one that I'm going to make into a great nation. And he put that on full display in their old age, raising up a son. And he took that son and he made him into a multitude. We skip forward just a little bit and we find uh, Moses and the children of Israel down in Egypt. And Pharaoh is having them under hard bondage, and he is mistreating them. And he leads Moses to go and challenge Pharaoh, and God demonstrates his power in Egypt through all the plagues. And at the end of that, um, the people of Egypt and Pharaoh allow the children of Israel to go out of the land. They kind of expel them out of the land and completely change their mind because of God's power. Whenever they get to the Red Sea and there's no way for them to get across, they weren't planning on walking on water. God displays his power as he parts the Red Sea. He displays his power as he provides for them and protects them in the wilderness for 40 years. He displays his power as he leads them into the promised land. And as Jericho falls and one by one, the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and all these different uh, people are overcome because God in his power gives victory over all of these people. We can continue through and we can see all the other displays of God's power as David stands before Goliath. We mentioned him earlier, right? We can see as uh, God takes his people and he makes a great nation out of them and the wealth and the power under uh, King Solomon, it wasn't by their ability, it wasn't by their might, it was by God's even displaying his power as the enemies carry them away captive into Babylon. And you have a man by the name of Daniel that faces the lions and God displays his power to an evil king. 
We find the three Hebrews, they go into the fire. God displays his power. And then God displays his power even more whenever he takes those people who were carried away captive and he brings them back, allows them to re-inhabit their land and to populate that land. And by the time we get to the New Testament, Israel is in that land. The land is uh, populated by God's people and God has still kept his people through all of that. We get into Jesus' life. He was born of a virgin, display of God's power. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He did all these miracles that we've been studying. And then he went to a cross to die for you and me. He was buried. He rose again the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And then after about 40 days, he ascended on high. He ascended up into heaven. He took his place at the right, right hand of God. He seated there making intercession for you and me. And then on the day of Pentecost, he sent down his Holy Spirit to empower us, to be a comforter unto us. And he took this group of apostles and he did in fact turn the world upside down with the gospel. That they didn't have the power, they didn't have the ability to accomplish what God accomplished through them, right? His power was on display. But it wasn't just in the Bible days, it was down throughout history. If you look through the, the past 2,000 years, if you look at the martyrs that went to the stake, if you look at the people who stood firm on the gospel, even whenever all hell came against them, God displayed his power through his people. Could you imagine these people who faced all this persecution and to be able to go to the stake or go to the gallows or to go to whatever means of execution still praising God, still comforted and faithful to him and praying for their abusers to their dying breath and singing praises to God even in the face of all that. Though every nation has rose against God's people, though Satan has tried everything he could, God's people still prevailed, still existed by God's power throughout today. If we look in our own lives, if we look in society today, God's power is still on display. Just the fact if you are saved today, it is only through and by God's power that you are saved. And he delivers the drunkard. He takes the man who is an addict and he makes him into a husband and to a father. He makes him into a productive member of society. He takes and transforms people's lives and does things that would be impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. His power is on display. We have all the prophecies that's been fulfilled, and we also have all the ones that are yet to be fulfilled. We have God's plan for the end of times that Satan is going to be finally crushed under the heel of God's servant, that Jesus is going to come and he is going to win the final victory, that the devil will go to the lake of fire where he belongs, that the children of God will abide forever in heaven with him, and sin and wickedness will be done away with. That all displays God's power. And so for us, we should take note of what God has done. We should take note of all of the displays of God's power and realize what a mighty God that we serve. And as Peter did this, as Peter was taking note of what Jesus was doing and seeing all of the great works that he was doing, so excuse me, seeing the power of God displayed, Peter looked at that and he says, I want to have a part of that. And so we saw the demonstration of God's power and it gave him a desire to participate. It gave him a desire to participate. 
And as he looked at what God was doing, he says, I want to be a part. I want God to work in me. I want God to work through me. If God has that kind of power, if he has that kind of ability, if he has these great plans for this place, I want to be a part of what he is doing. And I think that should be our desire as well. With the God that we serve, with the power that he has, we should be desiring to be a part. He has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. He doesn't save us just to leave us the way that he finds us. He doesn't save us just to sit and wait until he returns, but he has a work for us to do on this earth. And so we should desire to participate in his work. We should desire for him to display his power in our lives as he works in us and through us. He can deliver us from our sin. He can renew our minds. He can transform our lives. He can use us to see souls saved. He can use us to make a difference in this world that we live in today. This isn't just something that happened back in the Bible. He is still looking for men and women in which he can display his power, that he can demonstrate his power. We may think, well, God can't use me. We might look at ourselves like that little boy's lunch, right? What am I amongst so many? But if he can use Peter, if he can use some of these guys in the Bible, I mean, there were some some pretty rough characters in the Bible that God used, right? There were some people that the world would have looked at as failures, people that the world would have said there's no hope, there's no good in them, and God says, yeah, I think I can use that one. I already brought out Abraham, right? 100 years old, there's no way God can do anything with him. There's no way he can have a child. There's no way he can be the father of a great nation. Uh, Sarah, she's 90 years old. There's no way. And God says, yes, there is. And if he can use the people that he used in the Bible, he can use each and every one of us. Uh, I can remember, and I think I've told this in here before, but I can remember as I was uh, a young man in church that I had a desire. I was praying, God, use me. I want you to use me. I want to be part of your plan. I've seen God work. I've uh, heard the stories of his power. And I said, God, do that in my life. And then he called me to preach. And I said, not like that. I told you before that in school, I would take failing grades instead of doing oral reports because God, I can't speak in front of people. There's no way. I was like Moses at the burning bush. I've compared myself to that in the past. But what finally got me, I ran from that for a good while, but what finally got me is I said, I want to be used of God. And if I refuse to do the one thing that he's called me to do, what if he never uses me for anything again? And I finally submitted to it and I surrendered to preach. And here I am today, right? You all might say, well, I wish he wouldn't have done it. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I submitted to the call because I wanted God to use me. And if God can use me, I believe he can use anyone. And unfortunately, though, I find that I think too many people stay on the boat. We give Peter a hard time because he sunk, right? But at least he got out of the boat. The other one said, no, he may be able to do great things, but I'm going to stay here where it's comfortable. And I'm not raising myself up to Peter's uh, level and saying, you know, I stepped out of the boat. I'm not bragging. My, no, I'm not doing that. But I'm encouraging you that God has great power. He has a great plan and a program that he's wanting to do, but he is needing people who are willing to say, I want to have a part of that. 
The only prayer request that Jesus ever gave was pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers unto his harvest because the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few, right? He says, I need people who are willing to say, I see the power of God. I'm not much. I'll give myself to you and I want you to use me for something. And so whenever he did that, he took off, off the boat. He started walking on the water and he did something that Jesus is the only other person to have ever done. You realize that there is only two people in history that's ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. People even joke about that still to this day and they talk about Jesus walking on water, but they fail to realize that Peter did walk on water. Yes, he didn't walk the entire way, but he walked on water. Until, third thing that we find here, we saw the the uh, demonstration of God's power. We saw the desire to participate. Now we see dangerous perceptions. As Peter began walking on the water, I don't know how far he got. How many steps do you think he took? Two or three? Two or three? He might have been a little bit slow. He might have got five or six before he realized what he was doing, right? I don't figure he went too awful far. But whenever he realized what was going on, he took his eyes off of Jesus, Right? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw the waves, he felt the wind, and in his mind, he realized this is impossible. He said, I can't do this. This is too big. And so if Peter and the disciples were going to do what Jesus had for them to do, they had to learn to keep their eyes on him. Imagine if on the day of Pentecost, Whenever the crowds were gathered around, the Holy Spirit had descended, and all of these things were happening, and the people were saying, oh, they're drunk with wine. Oh, they're crazy. There's something wrong with them. Imagine if Peter would have listened to their insults and to the things that they said, and they're like, oh, I'm not the right God, Jesus, and would have shrunk back at that time. What if he would have looked at himself and said, there's no way I'm not an orator, I'm a fisherman. I'm not a preacher. I'm not skilled in doing these things, and so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Or we could look at the opposite end of the spectrum. What if after he preached on that day and all of these thousands of people came to the Lord, he started strutting around and saying, look what I did, and got his eyes on himself. Either way, it doesn't matter if you see yourself as small or you see yourself as big. If your eyes are not on Jesus, you are going to sink. You're going to fail. And so if he would have thought that he did it of his own power, of his own strength, still he would have failed. And so the danger is whenever we begin walking with the Lord, we may be excited, we may be seeing things happen, we want to participate, but we get our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to sink. And it can be either through success or through problems, but either one of them can cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus. And so this is the lesson that they needed to learn, that it isn't by the power of their flesh. It's nothing good in them, but it is Christ that does it. It says that he is the one that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, he did run well, past tense. You started out good, 
Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? That's these guys that we were talking about in Sunday school. They began well. They were rooted. They were grounded. They were serving the Lord. False teachers came and led them astray. They took their eyes off of Jesus and they started putting them on the false teachers, right? And so he said, you did what run well. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? The way that sets with us here today is a lot of times we get saved. We're excited about it. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe it. I put my faith in him. He has saved my soul. I'm headed to heaven. And then I get my eyes off of Jesus. And I start putting it on myself. And I start trying to clean myself up. I start trying to do the works of God through my own strength, through my own power. Or I turn away from God altogether and start trying to make a life on this earth that I forget about eternity. And I'm off track. My eyes are off of Jesus. I begin to sink. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's showing us our direction. It's showing us where our eyes need to stay at. Looking unto Jesus, the author, he's the one that started it. And finisher, he's the one that ends it. And we need to keep our eyes on him from the beginning to the end because of our own selves, we can do nothing. But through God, all things are possible, right? And so when we get our eyes off of Jesus and on self or on circumstances, we will sink. Even as a pastor, this is something I've got to constantly be mindful of. Because if I look at the work around me, if I look at, for instance, the town of Longford and all of the people here who need to hear the gospel, I can say, what am I amongst so many, right? If I look at their disinterest in the things of God, I can say there's no way that I can do this. And after having started here, I can be tempted to say, I'm just going to hang it up. I won't go back to fishing. I'm going to leave this. Forget it. Because if I look at myself, if I look at the multitudes, my eyes are off of Jesus and I am going to sink. I'm going to fail. And if it goes the opposite direction and I actually see success and the church begins growing and people are getting saved and things are going well, if I start thinking that it's up to me to keep it going, if I think that it's something that I have done to cause it to happen to begin with, I'm still going to fail. There have been countless pastors, countless churches around this world that have fell into this pit, that have fell into this danger of thinking that we have to be the ones that do this work, that we have to be the ones that conjure it up by our own abilities, by our own strength, by our own wisdom. And if we either see success or we see failure, it doesn't matter. It's all failure whenever it's not of God. We've got to keep our eyes on him. And so for our everyday life, we need him in all things. We need him to do a work. We see his strength. We see his power. We see the things that he's capable of doing. We say, God, I want you to do a work in me. I want you to do a work through me. Don't take your eyes off of him whenever he begins working because you will begin to sink. 
And so what happens, though, whenever you begin to sink, whenever you start feeling like you're in over your head? Because we don't like that. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. Things are going chaotic and things are not going good. I feel like I'm just in over my head, Lord. What do I do? The last thing that I find in this passage is that he was delivered by the presence of Jesus. We have the promise in Scripture that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Whenever Peter began to sink, his eyes quickly went back to Jesus. He knew that he needed Jesus then when he was sinking. And so as soon as he called out, Jesus was there. As I said, I don't know how far Peter made it. I don't know how close he was to Jesus. But it says the instant that he called out, Jesus reached out and picked him up. I don't think that he had walked so close that he was within arm's length of Jesus. But Jesus is always only as far away as us calling out to him, as us reaching out to him. See, this whole time that we, in in this passage, Jesus sent them out on the boat by themselves. Jesus wasn't with them. But he was up on the mountain praying, and I believe that there was never a time that they were out of his sight. That as he was up on the mountain praying over his disciples, praying about this situation, he saw them in the boat toiling and rowing, and they were never out of his sight. They were never far out of his hand. And even whenever Peter began to sink, Jesus was right there to reach out to him. He always knew what was going on. He always knew exactly what they needed. The Bible tells us that God knows what we need before we even ask. Right? He knows the end from the beginning. And so we have these promises that I've already mentioned that he's not going to leave us, that he's going to stick closer to their brother. And even though he will never leave us, sometimes we leave him. Right? We've got the story of the prodigal. That's a good story to, to highlight that, isn't it? The father was always there. He was always willing to take the son in. He always loved the son. Sometimes we take our eyes off the Lord. Sometimes we go away from him. It's going to play out again in Peter's life whenever uh, Peter denies Jesus. Whenever he goes back to fishing, it says that he toils all night and he catches nothing. He says, I'm going back to fishing and that doesn't even work. Can't even do that anymore. He would have felt like a total failure. But whenever he was there licking his wounds, so to speak, It says that Jesus called out to him from the shore. It says, have you any meat? He says, no, nothing. But it says that whenever Peter realized that it was the Lord, he didn't try walking on water that time, did he? He dove into the water and he swam back to Jesus. And Jesus had that conversation with him that we all, I think we all know, where he says, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter says, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Y'all remember that? And so Jesus restored him immediately then. And so wherever you find yourself at today, there's a lesson here for you. We have a great God, and he wants to do great things in and through us. And so if you're walking with him right now, and you're like, I've got my eyes on him. God's working in my life. I'm seeing him overcome obstacles in my life. I'm seeing him use me as a witness and use me in this world. I'm seeing him do great things in my life. The thing that this tells each and every one of you that would fall into that category. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. You're not doing it yourself. You can't do it yourself. It is Jesus that is doing that work in you. If you've taken your eyes off of him and you've been distracted by other things and said, well, I've just, 
I'm just not seeing God work in my life right now. All you have to do is reach out to him. All you have to do is, like Peter, call out to him and say, Lord, I need you. And get your eyes back on the Lord. But the last thing I see here is if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if there's not a time in your life that you realize that you were a sinner, that you were not able to save yourself, that you could not repay for your sins, that you could not clean yourself up, if you have never came to that place that you realized, I can't do it, I need Jesus to do it for me, and you called out to him just like Peter did and said, Lord, save me, if you've never done that, you can do that today. Because it's not your power, it's not your ability, it's not your good deeds, it's not your religion, it's not your church attendance, it's none of those things that is going to save you. It is only Jesus that can save you. So if you realize that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, call out to him and place your faith and trust in him alone to forgive your sins and save your soul and start walking with him. He can do great things in your life. He can transform your life and he can work in you and he can work through you, but it is only by his power, not by yours. And it starts when you cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. So wherever you find yourself at today, wherever you fit at in this story, I want to encourage you. You need the Lord. You need him every step of the way. You need him for salvation. You need him to walk each day and you need him all the way through until you see him face to face. Don't take your eyes off of him. Get distracted by the storms. Get distracted by the difficulties. Get discouraged because of your inabilities. Instead, let him be God and let him do exceeding great and marvelous things in your life and in this world which we live. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings, Lord. And we do thank you for this time that we've had in your word. We thank you, Lord, for this example of Peter. And I know he often gets a lot of flack because of the, the things that he did, but we're thankful that he's someone that we can relate to. Lord, I know that we mess up, we fail, we do silly things, Lord. And Lord, you love us anyway. And Lord, I pray that if there's one in here today that... Uh, has gotten their eyes off of you. I pray that today would be the day they would get them back on you. I pray, Lord, if there's one here that's following you and they're doing well, that they would continue doing that. And if there's someone here today that's not saved, that they've never, uh, never uh, put their eyes upon you, trusted you, Lord, for salvation of their soul and forgiveness of their sins, I pray that today would be that day that they would cry out as Peter did, Lord, save me. Lord, we thank you for all that you do, for all you're going to do. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.